Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bullock, your host, and we're getting ready to start part two with our discussion with Susan L. Roberts. Susan is an author and a speaker, and on the last podcast, she taught us about her work in helping children overcome food aversions. So you're getting ready to listen to part two, where Susan discusses mentorship, and she continues her discussion in children who have food aversions, and she also discusses some of her newest projects. So stay tuned. Here comes part two. Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. So Susan, you've had the opportunity to currently do a lot of public speaking. You do classes, you've authored several books, you are a practicing therapist. And so you've had the opportunity to mentor a lot of people and currently do and have the opportunity to, you know, as I get older, as I work in my career, I work with a lot of new therapists who are new on the scene and we've all been in those shoes. What do you think maybe people who are just starting out should look for in a mentor? For me, it's always like, well, that's who I want to be when I grow up. You know, somebody who's doing something, who's getting the kind of results maybe that you want to get or who is using some techniques that you feel are really important. So I think that, you know, having some sort of chemistry, if you will, or somebody that you're drawn to, their work. Mm -hmm. And then the next requirement, of course, is somebody who is willing and able to teach. Mm. And sometimes people, they're great practitioners, but they're not necessarily great teachers. And so you have to find somebody who's willing to share and who knows how to get that information across. And that's also really important. And I know we've all, you know, had those professors maybe in school or workshops that we've taken where somebody's just been really good about passing on the information, people that we've worked with, other therapists who have helped us. I, I mean, when I think of a mentor, I think of somebody who you have this long-term relationship with. And I never have had that kind of a mentorship. But, you know, so many times in my life, there's been somebody who's come along and said, hey, you know, this is good. You're on the right track, especially when you're a new therapist and you're like never quite right. sure right. what you're doing. I mean, the example that comes to mind is I had a girl. She was an older teen with autism and mm. and she just loved to spin on the swing and usually I'd stop her and do other things with her. But one day I just, it was after, right after lunch and I, you know, some days you're on top of your game, some days you're not. <laughs> and I just let her spin and she spun for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, just spun. I think every now and then maybe I suggested she go in a different direction, but right. basically I just let her spin and then she threw up. Oh, mm. And I felt terrible about it. I'd only been in practice maybe about five years by that point, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit more. And I felt terrible about it. And I was telling one of the other therapists, an older therapist that worked there and had worked with her. And she said, you know, that's the first normal response she's ever had. Huh. <laughs> and sure enough, she never again spun herself that much. Wow. You know, I, I don't know whether she was just saying it to me to make me feel better, but it certainly was a teaching moment for me right? and a mentorship moment for me because she was, you know, much more experienced than I and uh -huh. she was an important teacher for me. Yeah. And gave you some idea of what was happening with that child and gave you some different perspective on maybe what you would have thought given your experience level and the other therapist's right. experience level. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, because, you know, usually we wouldn't let somebody just spin and spin, but it's kind of no. interesting to see what happens when they do. Yeah, it mm-hmm. does kind of normalize the yeah. system in a sense. And we know that the vestibular system has mm-hmm. such wide-ranging connections. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because as we work with various kids and stuff, we don't sometimes allow them a safe environment to either to fail or to have a reaction right. like that. And so I think it's important right. sometimes to look at it and be like, hey, this is what happens when you do that. This is what your body feels like. So they'll start to pay attention. So you've mentioned several people that you have learned from just in this podcast so far. You said you didn't have a long-term mentor that you work with, but have you had people that besides this one therapist that have affected your career? I ought to make a list. Um, (laughs) You've already given (laughs) us a big list. It would be a long one. That's right. I mean, certainly I've learned a lot from people who've written things down, but I've also had some wonderful professors in occupational therapy school. I had Kathy Trombley who wrote a textbook on physical dysfunction, but I had her as a teacher when she was still using dittos Mm. and uh, before she'd written the book. And she was wonderful. And I learned so much from her. And Nancy Talbot was a big person Mm. in the OT world. And then when I went to Harvard, I had also some really wonderful professors who also, uh, you know, they were professors, but I also got to sit down one-on-one with them and learn in that way as well. And certainly there's been people I've worked with that I've learned from, and children and parents. And I think Mm. part of the excitement of working in this field is that there's always something new to learn every day if you're open to it and are willing to do so. This is sort of interesting because one of the things I say at the end of my seminars now is that how important it is for us to honor our mentors and the people who came before us and Mm. who stand behind us. This is Mm. a term that they use in traditional Chinese medicine, who stands behind you, Ah. Um, because there's always a lineage. And one day I realized, oh my God, I have a lineage and my lineage comes to me through my profession. Mm. And so I tell people, you know, get your diploma and frame it. It's an energy gateway. And when you go into a treatment room, you take that lineage with you. And that's where your source of energy comes from. It's an unlimited source of energy. And all the people that you talked about that have impacted and affected your career positively. And you said there's tons of opportunities to learn from wide variety of people. Even, and you mentioned some of the families and kids you work with, they can in some ways have mentored you and taught you along the way. Definitely. Yeah. And you do carry all that with you when you go in. And I think all of us have been at that part of a new therapist or learning a new thing. But I think one of the things I was taken away from what you're talking is that I think the sort of underlying theme is not being afraid to try new things or not being afraid to learn. Sometimes a vulnerable place to be is to say to people, yeah, I don't really know much about that. But it leaves you an opportunity to learn and for someone to mentor you even at all parts of your career. Right. Well, I think first what we get is information, Mm. you know, so we get a lot of information and then we have to, you know, digest it basically. Mm -hmm. And we do that through our experience. So that's, you know, when you're a new therapist, you've got a whole bunch of information and what you're putting together is experience. Mm. And then when you get to like this part in in our career with you and me and and other Mm. people who have decades of experience under their belt, what happens is you have wisdom. Mm. And that only comes from making mistakes That's and, right. <laughs> and, and doing things right. And sometimes the kids do things with equipment that you never would think to do. Right. <laughs> and it's so much better than what right. you had planned. I mean, I remember yeah. I got a big refrigerator box once and, and I wanted the kids to crawl through it, but it was a little group of boys and they got in and they got next to each other and they were just like a tank going over stumps and, <laughs> awesome. and obstacles and stuff. And I thought, oh my, I never would have thought of doing that. And it's so much better than what I had in <laughs> yeah. mind. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that that's what you get. Mm-hmm. 
you know, have the information, you have the experience, and that comes the wisdom. And then you're doing it with your podcast. I'm doing it with my teaching. I mean, I think, you know, we begin to mentor and pass that information on Mm -hmm. to the next generation so that they can build on it as well. So what advice do you give the therapist on choosing a continuing education class? Like, what do you think they should look for when they're looking for different classes to attend? Well, I think topics that maybe stretch your understanding or stretch your abilities. I like hands-on courses myself because I think that that's a great way to learn. I learn better from doing than I do from just sitting and listening. Mm -hmm. So I try to incorporate that into my classes as well, even though we're not doing manual therapy techniques. Right. But I think that for me, I think that's a good way to learn. You know, pick topics that interest you and pick things that maybe push you. Sometimes being pushed a little out of your comfort zone is Mm -hmm. not a bad thing. No, not a bad thing at all. Because like you said, sometimes you learn more when you fail than when you are successful. I don't usually look at it as failures. I just look at them as learning opportunities. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I just have learned and through the years to frame it a little differently. (laughs) Um, Yes, Yes. learning opportunities. (laughs) Learning opportunities. That's right. Teachable moments. There you go. So what keeps you motivated in this field of pediatrics? Well, I currently am really, you know, looking at sustainability, you know, on the broader level of, you know, global sustainability, but also really beginning to think about it more in terms of therapy. Mm -hmm. When I talk about integrative therapy, you know, bringing mind, body, spirit together, but also the fact that most of us in the therapy fields, I mean, although we, you know, have access to a lot of high tech stuff now, we still can do almost everything with our hearts and our hands. And because of that, it's a sustainable practice. And I think I'm beginning to think about that in terms of not only sustainability in terms of what it costs and in terms of finances for the people I'm working with, but also in terms of the resources that are available and keeping it as close to home. So teaching the parents, you know, because I can see the child one hour a week or maybe a couple hours a week if I'm lucky in a sensory gym. But if that parent can take the child to the park every day, Mm. And I can get them ready so that they can do that. Now we have a sustainable treatment. Right. And now we're going to see the kind of big benefits. And now the parent has something that's not going to cost them anymore, but is going to provide their child with a huge benefit. And the same thing with the mealtimes is, you know, teaching people. And I really would like to work on some cookbooks and cooking skill kinds of things, because I think that that's what enables us to eat together, which is so important for this, the sharing of food. But how do you help people set that up so that they can have a successful family dinner as opposed to, you know, a battleground, which Mm -hmm. so many families have, and then they stop eating together. Mm. I was working with a phone coaching client and she was saying her son, you know, if anything green touches anything, he won't (laughs) eat it. So she like has to pull the green stuff out before it ever hits the table. Mm. I was thinking, you know, wow, the first thing he has to do is be able to do that. And I thought, well, how do we make that happen? And I thought, oh, you know, parsley. Mm. It's dry. You don't put little tiny pieces that are hard to pick out, but one giant piece that is easy to pick out. Right. You know, how do we help? get them comfortable uh-huh. to the point where, you know, at some point, maybe they're picking out all the little 
tiny pieces of green and eventually they just say, oh, it's just easier to eat it. Yeah, I love that. And parsley stays together so you can just pick it up one time and move. So yep. easy. So, yeah. See, and I like that term sustainability a lot better than carryover because sustainability is richer and it kind of also has this whole like life plan yes. with it versus carryover. I love yes. that sustainability. Oh, I man. I just stumbled good. across that one on my own. Oh, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. So how did you make the switch from teaching? Because you teach a variety of classes, and I would like to talk about that in just a second. But from a practicing therapist, you know, daily, sounds like you're doing coaching with that, to teaching. Well, partly I went to graduate school because I knew I wanted to do some teaching. And mm-hmm. so I went with that intention. Mm. And it turned out that I wasn't all that compatible with the academic I liked the teaching part, mm-hmm. but I didn't necessarily like some of the other things that were required of an academic career. Mm-hmm. I liked the research part, too, when I could research what I want to research. But uh-huh. <laughs> it doesn't always work that way. Right. And you have to sit on committees and do all sorts of other things. So I went back to therapy because that's what I enjoyed more. And then one day I was, I think it was a cross-country education website. I was on their website and they had a little thing that said, do you want to be a speaker and a little box next to it? And I checked it. There you, you know, go. Wrote down a bunch of ideas I had and they <laughs> contacted me. And that was really how I started. And I find that I enjoy the continuing education. I really get to polish a course. I kind of enjoy working with practitioners. I mean, I loved my students, mm-hmm. but I really like working with people who have their feet on the ground and are working, you know, with actual clients, you know, and they ask me questions and I get to think about things and, you know, run scenarios through in my head. And that's, I think, what you can do when you get to this point in your career, you've seen a lot. And so you can run the test drive in your head. Yeah. When it goes back to that sustainability, the larger impact, and we use the word carryover, but really the sustainability and teaching others what you know to help more kids. So you teach several other classes besides play with your food. Is your website the best place to go to find out about the different classes you teach? I have a page on my website that says seminars, Ah. and that's where there's a listing, and I try to keep it up to date, so I do that. Uh, I just updated it this morning, so pretty much everything I'm doing for the next couple of months is up there. Perfect, because it tells you the seminars and the dates and everything. So if you, yeah, yep, okay. where they are and all that. Yeah, so I'm teaching the self-regulation, uh, several mm-hmm. self-regulation courses now and linking the mealtimes and self-regulation together just started making a lot more sense. And it also fit in with my understanding of how traditional healers work. So that's really exciting for me now. And I'm going to be presenting at the annual occupational therapy uh-huh. uh, conference in Chicago on April 7th. I'm going to do occupational therapy from a traditional Chinese medicine paradigm and looking at five healing occupations, which are all self-regulating and also Mm. ones that reduce stress and therefore reduce inflammation. And when we reduce inflammation, the body heals. So really sort of taking it beyond adapting Mm. and rehabbing to how can we fundamentally change our way in the world so that the body heals itself. And that would be applicable to pediatrics or adults. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. When I work with families on coaching and stuff, I'm actually more about treating the parents than I am about treating the kids at this point because I'm teaching the parents how to work with the kids. See, well, I was going to ask you, so where do you kind of see the future for pediatric therapy or therapists going? Like, you know, you talked about coaching and there's teleconferencing. Technology has added another level to 
things that we can right. do and it gives us opportunities and obstacles in different ways. But where do you kind of see the future for pediatric therapy? Well, business is booming, um, which is good news for us, not such good news for the children right. and the families. But right. we're seeing increasing problems because I think, again, when we talk about sustainability, a lot of the toxins, both the physical toxins and also the psychic ones in the world are making it harder for kids and causing more stress. And then, you know, we begin to see more diseases and stuff. I think what I see is sort of two trends going on. One is high tech Mm -hmm. and the other one is low tech. And I am more drawn to the low tech, like, you know, traditional Chinese medicine is 5,000 years old. And I'm just reading Rupert Isaacson's second book. His first book was Horse Boy, and I can't remember the title of the second one. But he's taking his son with autism to different shamanic healers around the world because he's able to do that because of his own work background. And some of those are older, actually, than traditional Chinese medicine. I mean, he's in the Kalahari Desert in Africa and in the outback in Australia. These are very old traditions, but they passed on orally. But traditional Chinese medicine and yoga, Ayurvedic medicine, they began writing things down about 2,500 years ago. Ah. They didn't have technology. Mm -hmm. That technology they had was they had fire and they had, you know, paper and writing utensils, basically. And that was the technology. And yet they did some amazing things and sometimes can still get results that we cannot get in Western medicine. So I think that for me to begin to learn from that, and I see it going, you know, from the physician level on down, I see it going in those two kinds of directions. Mm -hmm. And for me, the low tech is more sustainable. But I think we need to be able to embrace the technology as well and pick and choose from that. The most recent course I just took actually was on kinesiology taping, which is Mm -hmm. a new technology. Right. And in using that, I think that when you're a student and learning or a new therapist, you really have to get the hands on Mm -hmm. to progress. So, you know, coaching by phone or by Skype is a little bit, well, a little bit. It's much more challenging. Yes, many ways, then if I can put my hands on a child, I, at this point, it's almost instinctive mm-hmm. what I do. Right. And I remember being a younger therapist and thinking, oh, look at these people, they have magic hands. <laughs> and then one day, you know, I was working with a child and I thought, oh my God, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah. I have the magic hands That's too. Why did, did I miss it? From? I know. Yeah. I, went, I went to sleep and I found them. But you're right. I think it's the doing and, you know, the repetitive doing and, and doing it over yes. and over because you really don't get better at it till doing it. And I think, you know, I like your discussion on the low tech because I think, you know, a lot of times it's easy for us to think now, oh, low tech may be like an iPhone 5, you know, <laughs> but I think right. like really getting the low tech, meaning like really, hey, what's making this child ticked? Sometimes the more simple and the more basic, the better. Sometimes. Sometimes the higher tech stuff is needed, but sometimes the lower tech is just really what you need because you're really trying to get to the element of core of what's this child need. Exactly. You know, you watch, you know, kids play, you know, with sticks and rocks and, you know, they don't need a PlayStation. No. (laughs) I remember my niece and nephews are twins. They're in their 20s now, but I remember taking them once somewhere and we were sort of dragging them around to, I don't know, museum or something like that. And we passed a beach with sand and they said, can we play? And we said, sure, we'll give you 10 minutes. I mean, they ran, they hit that beach (laughs) and they had a game going before their knees barely hit the ground. Wow. And it was just an amazing thing to watch. They had, you know, a dialogue, a plan, you know, 
I mean, and we went longer than 10 minutes just watching how they took the sand, the shells, the sticks, what they had, and made it into a game. Because they were twins, of course, they communicated really rapidly. It kind of brings us full circle here, Susan, too, in your discussion of play for this whole podcast, because that's where you start with whether the child is playing. And a lot of our little people we work with do not know how to play. And all of that stuff that you just talked about, all of that natural problem solving and reasoning and strategic thinking and, you know, all of that comes and how these objects work together and how my body impacts them and then others and all that. Kids, when they're not playing, they don't learn any of that. And a device sometimes is not play it's using a device. (laughs) Exactly. I think we have to teach, you know, like I can say family dinners and going to the playground will cure anything, which I believe it will. (laughs) Um, But if you can't have a family dinner because of the child's, you know, Mm -hmm. issues, if you take a child to the playground and they cry, right? or you bring them to the table and they cry, then, you know, there's a lot of groundwork we have to lay sometimes to get to the place where they can sit at the table and say, please pass the potatoes, or a lot of groundwork to put down before they can go to the playground and jump on the seesaw with another child that they've never met before. Even if they could even find a seesaw in the park because they took them all out. But I know. I was going to say seesaws. <laughs> That's right. That's a whole other podcast for a whole other day, playground equipment. But anyway, oh, yeah. <laughs> so tell everybody your website because it's a great resource of information for seminars, books. You've got a place on there for mailing lists. If people want to stay connected with you in terms of new and upcoming things you're doing, could you tell everybody your website so they can stay connected with you? You can reach my website mm-hmm. at www, of course, susanlroberts.com or changesot.com. Both will get you there. Mm-hmm. So susanlroberts.com and changesot.com. Both will take you there. You can sign up for my newsletter. And I'm going to begin talking about the biomechanics of spirituality, which is sort of my next book that I have in my head. I'm going to begin sort of testing out some of that on my newsletters and my blog posts and that kind of stuff. The Food Explorer's Passport is available on Amazon, so is the My Kid Eats Everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping to put together and get it uploaded onto my website, a downloadable version of the passport for Mm. therapists who may want multiple copies for kids they're working with. And, you know, want to put their own little pamphlets together, their own little books together. So I haven't got that up yet. That was one of the tasks that didn't quite get done this past couple of weeks before I go on tour again. But it will be there eventually. Well, job security, you've always got stuff to do. Always. (laughs) (laughs) So and so and I assume that that was the best way to stay in contact with you is by the website. Is there a different way or that's the best way? Sure. You can reach me at Susan at SusanLRoberts.com or at Susan at ChangesOT.com. Both okay. those email addresses will work. You can get on my website, you yeah. know, if you want to call to set up an appointment or something like that. I think that I have that set up on the website, sure. that kind of thing. So those are the ways to get in contact with me. And I think that also keeps people current with what you're doing and the stuff you've done. And as your practice is always growing and changing, as your classes are growing and changing, and as we always keep ourselves current. But so much good information there and so much good information in this podcast and in the courses. And I love the whole printable version of the pamphlet as well so that people can really take it and use it every day in their practice and give it to parents. And I'm going to start 
copying you on that word, that sustainability. See, I love that so much richer yes. and thicker. I yes. love that. Yes. I do. It's, I like yes, it. It's yes. Great. Sustainability. I think that we need to start <laughs> yeah. talking about it more because yeah. I think that that's really what we do is, you know, we provide people with sustainability in health. And health. Yep, exactly. So thank you, Susan, for today. This has been fantastic information. I'm so excited about it. Again, people can find out more about your classes and your books from your website at www.susanlroberts.com. That's one place. You've mentioned several others. All of those will be on our show notes. So you can get all that from theworkingtherapist.com. Click on this podcast and the show notes will be there. And all the references that Susan talked about today, her books, the classes, the other information resources that she gave out, all of that information and links will be there. So check all that out. If you weren't able to write as fast as she was talking and I couldn't for all of it, you can just download it there. So there you go. So thank you, Susan. This has been so fantastic. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Hayden. I enjoyed it. It was wonderful to talk to you. Yes, you too. All right. Well, thanks everybody for your time today. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 